How's it going? Brock Ashby here. Welcome to the Better With Brock podcast. In today's episode, we have an awesome guest that I've wanted on the podcast for a minute. His name is Dr. Mike Isretel, or also known as Dr. Mike. He's the co-founder of Renaissance Periodization, or RP. He's a sports scientist. He's hilarious. He's a no BS personal trainer, online personal trainer. He's an author. And he's a really smart coach that I've learnt under, not face-to-face, person-to-person. I've bought his stuff online and learnt what he has to share to personal trainers. In today's episode, we cover celebrity workouts and the Hollywood fitness industry overall, the stimulus to fatigue ratio, which is something that he invented, you could say, or he coined, and how it applies to your training. And also, he kind of opened my eyes to how it applies to other areas in life too. We talk about the eccentric reps and the important part that they play in muscle building and injury prevention. If you don't know what the eccentric rep is, it's a portion of the rep that we do when we're working out, but you will have a more depth explanation as you listen to the podcast and we answer the question. We also talk about joint pain management in jiu-jitsu. This seems like a very niche question, but Dr. Mike, he's a brown belt and I'm a blue belt and something that I've struggled with ever since I've started jujitsu is elbow pain, elbow tendonitis, when I roll and when I lift weights and it kind of affects how I perform in the gym and I wanted to get his opinion on how he would get around that and he unpacks that as well. Dr. Mike is an awesome dude. If you don't follow him, check him out. He explains where you can follow him at the end of the podcast. Let's get straight into it. Dr. Mike Israel, I have a PhD in sport physiology from East Tennessee State University. I'm a professor of exercise and sports science, and I'm a co-founder of Renaissance Periodization, which is a company that we do coaching, we have apps, we do digital products, we do a lot of information stuff. I'm on YouTube uh, talking about stuff all the time, and I'm a competitive bodybuilder and competitive Brazilian Jiu-Jitsu grappler. And I'm sure I'm leaving something out, but that's just about the gist of it. I've been watching your YouTube channel a lot recently. Have you really ramped up your posting on YouTube or is that just what I'm seeing now? Because I feel like there's new videos almost daily and they're lengthy, 30 to 45 minutes sometimes. Yeah. We've been doing that for some time, but uh, about a year ago we increased the amount of videos we're putting out. Uh, just by by one, you know, we used to put out four videos a week, and I think it's about five. But cool. um, we're also putting out um, kind of videos that are slightly more popular, less technical, and more comedic in nature. And uh, yeah. so I think those have caused a, a rise in our popularity on YouTube. So that may be why you you get more of me in the recommendation algorithm. Yeah, I think judging by the comment section, people are are much more excited about that. You know, you're like kind of pulling apart celebrity workouts. And that's one thing like I wanted to to actually ask you about. Why do you think there's so much fluff and so much, I don't know, shit that doesn't really make sense in the celebrity workout Hollywood area where I feel like this could be an opportunity for people, even like yourself. Like I'm sitting there wondering why isn't Dr. Mike training these people? Yeah. Like, why is there so much, you know, they have unlimited resource, they have unlimited access to potentially great coaches. 
why is there so much bullshit in the I guess Hollywood fitness industry yeah because they don't have unlimited resources and one of the biggest resources is you generally term it as intelligence that really a more specific terminology would be the knowledge and wisdom to select the best person to contract for a given job so for example like you're very successful in your own right and when you hire people to like fix the roof in your house or you hire someone to fix your sink because it's broken how good are you at ascertaining who the best people are to fix your roof or who the best people are to clean your sink mm. how much do you know about evidence-based roof making and who really the leaders in the field are but who's really just really good at marketing and you're like well yeah this roofing company that my friends used you know that seems mm. okay good enough seems like it checks the boxes and so if you don't know a lot about plum plumbing or a lot about roofing even if you're smart and have you know lots of money and lots of fame and influence you can make very terrible mistakes in selection i mean imagine if the rock or something bought like a muscle car and uh, like a, a dodge challenger or something and a lot of technical car people would be like dude my god for your money you could have bought something so much more effective and so much more comfortable for your needs and actually even the model of challenger you got you didn't even mod it properly and then you would ask them well how would he how would he know that so when mm. celebrities make not so great choices in their workouts they make not so great choices in a variety of other endeavors i mean uh we could judge them all the way down the line there's celebrities that you know they, they get caught in pictures just walking around hollywood and their fashion is terrible they just like look like peace like homeless people or something <laughs> yeah. and you know people who are at the high end of fashion but like literally this person has access to the best fashion designers in the world why wouldn't they get a tailor to just make their stuff it's nominally pricey to them and say well like this is a human being who makes choices based on the same kind of bullshit heuristics the rest of us do mm. and celebrities are known for many things but a much higher degree of analytical thinking or raw intelligence or respect for science this is not one of them you know like ashton kutcher you know is he like uh, some kind of like sam harris in disguise no absolutely not so you know like you would not expect him to make evidence-based choices so when mm. people ask how come celebrities often has uh, such terrible workouts with they're just kind of a cross-section of the rest of america most americans and most australians and most new zealanders You've been to the gym before. They're doing dumb shit all the time. And <laughs> yeah. like celebrities are just like everybody else. You know? mm -mm -mm. I actually went to school in New Zealand. Uh, I moved over to Australia. Um, and yeah, even that, like I went to one of the, it was like a prestigious high school. A lot of All Blacks came out there. I originally went there for rugby. Uh -huh. And yeah, I was still doing, I was like 14 years old when I started. I was trying to shrug 200 kilos <laughs> just because that's what I said. Everyone tried that. Yeah. <laughs> like lower back pinching but that's what oh, the first yeah. 15 rugby boys were doing so that's what Whatever. i was doing as well that's it you got to get it done exactly so uh yeah celebrities are just like famous people man you like you know when you see a celebrity drunk and uh getting pushed into a limo by his driver because he's just yelling racial absurdities you're never like oh like how could this celebrity have like why is he you know such a terrible drunk like it's just like that's what they do you know like mm. celebrities get into all kinds of crazy shit because they're just normal people so when you tell someone who's normal but has a shitload of money, pick a trainer, they're often going to do the same things most of us do. Like, I don't know anything about computers. If I go into a, a computer store, I just, like, whatever the salesman says to me that sounds somewhat reasonable, <laughs> as long as it checks my goals of, like, I can mm. do PowerPoint on this, yeah, I, I'll buy it. And mm. a lot of times people, computer, evidence-based computer people could be like, oh, my God, like, Mike, I thought you knew better. It's like, what? I didn't. So, uh, yeah, celebrities don't have any mm. kind of special insight I don't think and a lot of times it's like 
the studio will recommend someone or their friends will recommend someone. And a lot of the ways that recommendations occur is based on human characteristics, human qualities. If you train with mm. a trainer that's just really cool and down to earth and really funny and a couple of other celebrities have trained with him before, you'll get him as a recommendation. You'll mm. meet him and you'll think, this guy's great. And when he explains to you why we're doing certain things, it all sounds plausible. You know, like, <laughs> yeah. oh, like, the core is yeah. really important. Like, oh, yeah. okay, of course, of course, it's the middle of my body. How could it be not un- unimportant? If you said, you know, the pinkies were very important, you'd be like, oh, okay, that's strange. Mm. But uh, all, all the stuff passes the smell test generally if you just have no idea what you're looking for. You know, mm. like if someone was to talk to you about, like, hey, like, pick a great store for floral arrangements. What makes a good floral arrangement? You'd be like, I have no fucking clue. <laughs> and someone who's maybe good, maybe not good at floral arrangements could tell you, well, it's really about color balance and symmetry. And some kind of flowers generally people like to see in the middle, some kind of flowers on the outside of an arrangement. You'd be like, mm, okay, sounds yeah, legit. great. Uh, and you look through their Instagram and they got pretty flowers on every every picture. And you're like, it looks pretty to me. So think about, you know, the, the average trainer doing stupid exercises. He's got some clients with good genetics that worked hard at it long enough. They got great mm. results. You're like, yeah, it's going to be me. So that's it. Yeah. Uh, one thing that I've, like, I've watched you critique some of those workouts. And even just what I learned from you in general first was you're a huge fan of the slow eccentric, of the big stretch. And I'd love you to kind of talk about each portion of the rep eccentric isometric concentric um with focus on the eccentric because like actually i posted a a workout the other day and some person posted like oh i appreciate you doing slow eccentrics it was like a really niche comment i guess very niche yeah (laughs) like i appreciate your slow eccentrics a lot of fitness influences just drop it down and then you know they're like pushing heavy weight um but yeah, why is it so important? And what's the difference between the eccentric and, you know, the isometric or concentric? Yes, the first thing I'll say, it's not very important. It's just a little bit important. Okay. But it's one of these things that if, if you know it and you do it, it's such a huge trade-off in the side of the beneficial. And there's almost no downside. Mm. That it's kind of like a real easy thing that you can do. It, uh I'll give you a what's a good analogy. Um, you know, if you if you're cooking food, but you've never used like salt, onions, or garlic, <laughs> and people are gonna be like, "Dude, it's not rocket science. Just do it." And you're like, "Why? What's the complex reasoning?" You're like, "It's just gonna make your food taste better." And you try it, you're like, "Oh!" <laughs> and these things are so cheap, and it's so easy to put them in food. What have I been doing my whole life? Now, can you eat food without onions, garlic, and salt? Yeah. Can you have food taste pretty good? Sure, there's ways of doing that. But, like, why go out of the way? So the eccentric research seems to indicate that it might be a little bit more of all the three parts of the movement, the eccentric being the way down, Mm. the isometric being at the top or bottom of the lift, and the concentric being on the way up. The eccentric seems to be probably a little bit more impactful for hypertrophy. But there are better reasons than that. Because you're like, oh, a little bit more, but if I do less eccentric, I can do more concentric reps because I save my energy. That's totally true. Mm. Slower eccentric has a couple of other benefits that are really, really awesome. And just kind of like, once you know them, you're like, oh, shit, why wouldn't I use this? One of them is that eccentric part of the lift doesn't take as much nervous system drive. So it actually tires you out less. So if you have a set on which you are mostly riding out slow eccentrics and then quickly doing the concentric and then slowly riding out the eccentric, 
that set is going to fatigue you less than a set in which you're dumping the bar into yourself and just crushing out as many concentrics as you can. Like CrossFit style, that shit is hard. Like it actually just beats you up more from a nervous system perspective. You have to try harder. Your nervous system works harder on a concentric phase than eccentric, which is why EMGs, uh, the, the little sensory pads they put on you to detect muscular activity mm. don't seem to detect a whole lot of activity or nearly as much in an eccentric phase as in a concentric. And then they say, well, this doesn't activate that muscle as much. Like, well, it sure as shit does. It's just not through the nervous system. But the muscle uses its own passive tension and its own internal tension. Uh, with some degree of activation, you can get a ton of force throughput in an eccentric, which means it's a very efficient way to train, a very economical way to train. For how hard you have to try, you get bigger benefits from the eccentric. So that's a big deal. Like, shit, if I can work, like, not nearly as hard. Like, I did all the work to get the bar up here. Why don't I catch all the growth I got coming to me by taking it down slowly? And also, it's going to tire me out less so I can do more reps and more sets to get the same effect. Mm. And then in addition to that, a slow eccentric minimizes injury risk. Because injury risk is quite high if you really rapidly change at the bottom or dump the bar and it gets off position. But a slower eccentric keeps you in a very good position it lowers the velocities of movement, and movement velocities are one of the most correlated variables to injury. Like, one of the most injurious sports is uh, the sports of, of um, cheerleading in America. Why? Because when the girls are tossed basket toss style and come down 10 meters, your velocity hitting the round at 10 meters is, like, insanely high. It's higher than you would be able to propel yourself. Your ass is getting hurt for sure. <laughs> but if you're lowering even hundreds of pounds slowly in an eccentric and you push back up, usually you're just like, eh, I just can't do this anymore. I'm not going to get hurt. Mm. But you get the more dynamic something is, the more injurious it is. So if slowing the eccentric maybe grows a little bit more muscle rep for rep, definitely requires less effort neurologically to train just as hard and minimizes injury risk at least a little bit. I'm talking about, all right. There's three benefits, and then you say, okay, what are the what are the what are the downsides? You get fewer reps in a set, mm. so well, I don't know. Like the girl over there that's just <laughs> counting your reps, she's like, all right, if he gets 15 reps with this, I'm for sure giving it up. I'm just going to pull him <laughs> into the bathroom. We're going to do this. But if it's 14 or less, I'm never going to speak to him again. That doesn't happen. Mm. Nobody cares. You know the Jurassic Park meme, the fat guy from Jurassic Park. He's like, see, see, nobody cares. Uh, that's just it. So it ends up being like there are really no downsides from a hypertrophy training perspective and just like small, notable upsides, but there's like three of them. And then that adds up to like, this is a really good idea. Mm. It's more, um, imagine you, you um, were, you saw someone walking around with no shoes and you were like, have you considered shoes? And they're like, is it going to change everything completely? Will I be able to get to where I need to go faster? You're like, no. But trust me, you put on some shoes, they got to make it more comfortable. Your feet don't get hurt as often. Your feet probably won't get hurt very often if you have nice soles, but every now and again they will. So just put on some shoes and see if you like it. And they're going to put on some shoes and be like, bro, this is the next level. This is awesome. And you're going to be like, see, it's not night and day, but it's just better. It's just better. And so uh, you're like, why not do it? That's my. That's just generally my thing. And with injury, if you can bring injuries down a little bit, like who wants to get hurt? Why would mm. you want to get hurt? Now, I would understand if there was a nuanced discussion of now. Look, like quick eccentrics have some upsides, but for hypertrophy training, which you wish they just really don't. Mm. You know, it's like if it's all positives uh, and, and the, basically no negatives, it's like having friends over and they're like, "Why isn't your food flavored?" And you're like, 
should I consider flavoring my food? And they're like, yes. There's just, the downside is it costs a dollar to buy food flavoring. And the upside is like a million times bigger than that. So, ta-da. When I first thought of doing a podcast in 2019, I wrote down everything that I wanted to achieve with the show. And one thing I never wrote down was to spam you with ads of products that I never really used myself. However, I did write down that I wanted to grow it as big as possible and have as many interesting people on the show as I could. To help make that happen, all I ask is that you leave a review on the podcast platform that you're listening to this episode on and share it with someone that you know it will benefit. If you want to support myself even further and more importantly your body transformation and are interested in having me as your coach to help you achieve the results that you just can't seem to achieve on your own, you can visit teamrockashby.com to see what program fits you best. Back to the show. So what about the soreness aspect of training with slow eccentrics? Because I personally feel that to be much more doms. Yeah. Like, in my, like, for example, yesterday I did a push workout and my chest is like screaming. Blown up. Yeah, yes. it's, it's, it's really sore because at the moment I'm doing four to five seconds like on the way down to really try and emphasize it. Um, yeah, like is that a trade-off that you consider? Because I definitely don't feel as sore when I have like let's say a, a two-second lowering of the weight. Yeah, no, I don't. I think that is indicative of a good thing. And because there's not a ton of direct literature to confirm this yet, um, I have to be very careful. I say this, but I suspect yeah. that the growth benefit of slower eccentrics is actually quite modest, um, not just small. And I think that reflects itself in the degree of soreness that you get mm. I challenge you to think of a situation in which more doms doesn't correlate to more growth mm. have you ever heard of a situation in which someone's getting more doms but that doesn't correlate somehow to the mechanisms of more growth so for example people will say people used to say well doms is just something you get if you're novel like new to training so, okay, who grows more from training? People new to training or people who have been training a while? Okay, new people. Okay, sweet. Yeah, it's a Sounds great point. Good. Another one is like um, you can see if you targeted the muscle properly. If you do a lot of slow eccentrics for your biceps and you don't get sore, you'd be like, am I really using my biceps on this? <laughs> Maybe it's just forearms. You know, sometimes you curl and it's just mostly forearms and you're like, eh. Another one is like people used to say, okay, at long muscle lengths, training at a stretch really gives you doms. And that's kind of a curiosity of training at a stretch. So don't mm. worry about DOMS because it's just something that happens when you stretch or when you're new. But now we learn that training at a stretch is superior for hypertrophy. So it's like, oh, interesting. And it also conveys a lot of DOMS. Mm. So I'm not saying the more DOMS you can get, the better. But if you're getting some good, robust DOMS from doing even less of the work or just the same amount of work, you're probably getting more growth. And that's mm. a really great thing. Can you imagine if I'm all Dr. Mike and shit and you see my videos on YouTube and shit and you're like, I'm going to try the slow eccentric bullshit. I'm going to try it. And instead of you getting more sore from it, you got, got less sore. You got less tired. You didn't feel like the muscles were really trained all that hard. Mm. Would you be more likely to be like, yeah, this is awesome. I love it. No, you'd be like, nah, I don't know. It's just not quite, it's not quite hitting the spot. Mm. But if you get really, really sore in your quads from doing it or your triceps or your chest, you're like, man, some shit happened to my muscles. Mm. This definitely fucks up my muscles a lot. And if you're saying, oh, now I'm, I'm too sore, why don't you just do fewer sets? Then mm. now we have a really amazing thing. You do fewer sets and you get as much growth as you used to be getting doing more sets. And you don't have to try as hard from a nervous system perspective because the concentric's more difficult mm. than the eccentric. It might be actually a, a pretty big deal all around where it's like, you know, something's just so goddamn good, you don't need forever of it to, to make you super happy. You know what I mean? Yeah, I'm, I'm I'm doing less sets than I've probably ever done before, and I feel like, yeah, I'm getting. Well, 
it's hard to say because it's a new phase of training. It's like a new meso yes. that I'm doing. It's hard to say that I'm I'm growing the most I've ever grown. But you, as a yeah, you, you can't know, say that yeah, totally. As a person that's lifted since I was 14, it's pretty hard to find those extra you know those extra things that are unturned. So yes, you know, it's feeling but very good. Your proxies for how your exercises are making you feel, how your workouts are making you feel, are definitely trending in the right direction. Mm. I mean, if you like have to do less work and you get just as fucked up in the target muscle, but your joints feel good, your nervous system feels good, this is a really good sign. Mm. If this keeps going, I might see at least comparable growth from mm. less effort or even more growth if I can recover from it. You know what I mean? It's just very challenging mentally as well because you're like, <laughs> like, you feel like you should be smashing yourself harder, especially if you've trained in the wild. Training the yes. gym for a while, you're like, you know, I'm doing three sets of eight, five seconds down, one up, and you're used to doing, you know, whatever, what I did when I kind of like originally started the whole, oh, yeah. you know, you do five by five or you do six yeah. sets of six and you're yeah, yeah. absolutely crushing the bench press. And yeah. then, you know, now you're doing three sets of eight and walking out and you feel, you know, just as, just as good. You know, obviously it, it feels like a more intelligent way to train. On the aspect of, of joint pain, I did want to kind of chat to you because you you know you you're grappling and i'm relatively new into it. i'm only a couple years in okay um but i i do get slight elbow tendonitis yeah um and that really screws up my kind of pull-ups and bench and and things like that sometimes which is just frustrating how do you manage yeah. um your like personally your grappling and your training because you're training a lot you're, mm -hmm. I'm, I'm not sure how much you, you do jujitsu, but you do mention that you do it quite frequently. Yeah. Um, yeah. How do you manage it yourself? If you get any of that. Yeah. So say I have at least three recommendations. One is train with weights in the day before you do jujitsu. Mm. If you do jujitsu first and train with weights sometime after and that same day, you're like, you're just non-starter. Your elbows are going to be like, whoa. <laughs> nah. Yeah, I have to do that. Like, I have to double up. So I do it before. Yeah. I have done yeah. it after when I'm desperate just yeah, to get in some training. But <laughs> man, Bro, even, bo even terrible, body weight right? pull-ups, you're like, man. Dude, I'm you're like, I can't do pull-ups anymore. <laughs> that's it. And Jiu-Jitsu finally broke me. That's it. Like I just found myself just circling around machines because it was easier. Yes. So I did know, I was just like, I'm chest pressing, shoulder pressing, lat pull down, yeah. seated row. I'm out. Yeah. Yeah. 100%. So definitely lift before. Uh, another recommendation I have is to drill uh, maybe not necessarily drill, but some combination of drilling and, and uh, positional sparring more than you do live sparring. Mm. Because live work, um, just going to submission, is very, very effective and, and very necessary. But especially for folks that are beginning, folks that are working out their game plan, they need lots of repetitions of the same thing. So lots of drilling and lots of positional sparring. Mm. I think is most people don't like those as much as they do live rolling. I mean, the ideal white belt jiu-jitsu class is that <laughs> coach just like blows a whistle and is like, all right, 40 minutes, just try to kill yourself. <laughs> hit it and you know everyone loves that but you don't really learn a whole lot and it's just so difficult for the body it's full-on combat mm. it's going to beat you up more so you can get a better stimulus to fatigue ratio from jiu-jitsu training if you do more drilling and more positionals my wife and i train together right now at um jiu-jitsu and we train basically three times a week most weeks and you know we only spar once a week for now but our jiu-jitsu game is just continuously elevating because we drill the other days mm. and drillers make killers you know like that's the thing wrestling came up with and it's just as true for jiu-jitsu um so that's a really good idea and the other thing is i would say when you're rolling and this is a bit difficult to do when you're a white belt but it'll get easier to do as you mature if you try um 
is to treat your roles as opportunities to exhibit technical prowess and mm. to cap your use of your strength until you're at a competition. And then in a couple of weeks leading up to the competition, really ease up on your lifting, start to crank your intensity and training a little bit higher for jujitsu and try harder. And then you'll be ready to try hard, but all of the movement patterns will have been there from trying not so hard physically. So here's what I mean by that. If you're, let's say, doing some kind of pass in the gi, do you do gi or no gi? I prefer no gi. But no I, gi, sweet. I do the occasional gi. It's kind of become a joke now that I'll just kind of you know, show, show up, up to gi, but gi. yeah, I just prefer Get no gi. Collar Co- choked by somebody. Yeah, like coming from rugby and just, you know, the more dynamic elements of it, I prefer it, yeah, but yeah. I do both. You just want men that are shirtless. Exactly. Coming from rugby, you're like, this gi covers up too much of the man that I want to touch. This is <laughs> so um, let's say no gi, you know, you're you're kind of p- pushing a pass together and the person's resisting and they're kind of following up and trying to hook your legs and keep their guard. And you could get the pass if you simply like pulled harder on their shoulder. Just fuck because you're fucking jacked and strong and you can get the pass doing that. But if you don't do that, they're actually too technical for you because they're weaker and smaller, but maybe they're a blue or purple belt. Mm. And they're too technical for you to take to get the pass just on like smooth technique. There are two ways to get around that. One is you just fucking grind them and you get the pass. <laughs> Two is you give up the pass and try to work for something else that you are technically proficient in advancing on. One of those lets you win the match and advance the position, which is cool. Congratulations. So pat on your own back. But also it fucks up your elbows because it just grinds on it, man. Mm. Like grinding is what hurts you, not jiu-jitsu. Um, you know, not a lot of people get hurt doing breakdancing, but even, <laughs> it looks even more intense than jiu-jitsu except there's nobody resisting you in breakdancing. It's just mm. you by yourself. So very low injury rate. Those people don't really complain about any kind of joint pain or anything, generally. Sure, shit, not elbow pain. But jiu-jitsu, man, you're pushing people away. You're pulling people. You're using one arm to grab something and move around it. And when you're in the fight-or-flight situation, like you can grind your out joints real hard doing that stuff. Mm. But if you say to yourself, look, if I can't get this with good fluid technique at 50% of my maximum strength, I don't deserve to get it because I don't really know things. Jiu-jitsu isn't about how strong your body is. It's about how much you know of how to move your body. Mm. Anytime you want, you can take your strength and start using it, and then you're a fucking killer. Imagine if, like, some girl in your class who weighs, like, you know, 55 kilos or something, and she's tall and lanky, and you're like, uh, but she's like a black belt, and she's just a star technician. You can beat her right now just because you could just smash the living fuck out of her. Fine. Mm. Amazing. But imagine if she took a magic pill, that her jiu-jitsu technique didn't change at all, but now she got your strength. God, dude, she'd go to Worlds and fuck everyone up. Like, mm. that's it. It would be game, game over because she's worked on the most important part of Jiu-Jitsu, which is the technical ability. You are that girl, except your technical ability sucks and you have the muscles already. You're that girl in reverse. Cool thing is, is if you train to increase your technical ability, your strength's always going to be there. Mm. So for the last little while in my training, I'm working on flow and technical and getting to the right places because when I have to turn up the strength, it's always there. Yeah. But if I always turn up the strength, both fuck up my elbows and shoulders, and I don't learn a ton of technique. Because mm. someone's like, you got that pass. And you're like, I sure did. They're like, that's the wrong way to do the pass. You're like, but it worked. Like, no shit. If you have a bulldozer run over a car, it's the wrong way to pass on the freeway, but it still works because it's just fucking that big. Uh, you don't learn anything. Mm. You know, like if you if you have a tank and you just drive it across the racetrack and crush all the other race cars and you win the race, uh, you don't actually know how to race. You just drive in a straight line. And other cars just blow up when they touch you. Mm. Like, you don't learn anything. So with jiu-jitsu, backing off if you're stronger um, into such a way that you never hurt your joints, that so you just think like, your elbows after practice, they feel great. 
which means like, look, if you're up against a stronger guy, a bigger guy, and he muscles you, you got to lose. You got to lose the position. You got to lose the match. You got to tap more often. Mm. But, you know, when people get a big ego about beating you, that's all in the gym. It's all good. Because when you're peaking for competition, you're going to turn it up on that same person and they're going to fucking lose to you. And they're going to be, holy shit, you got a lot better. Be like, nah, man, I just never really try all that hard with my strength. Mm. And that seems like a cocky thing to say, but like you just beat them. So clearly you had some other shit up your sleeve. You know what I mean? Mm. So my best recommendation there is like, train before you do jiu-jitsu drill more do more positionals less live rolling and when you roll live don't try to crank on people and use white belt energy just try to be technical and smooth so that you'll never get in a position where you're even really taxing your joints a whole lot Mm, yeah i've definitely been trying to trying to work on that i i heard of the idea maybe like six months ago when i was or maybe a year around positional sparring you know starting and disadvantageous positions and then kind mm-hmm. of working your way out that's mm-hmm. and, and now that's actually been one of my favorite ways to to train i guess i've kind of looked at it similar to training you know lifting weights yeah it's it's about technique and well imagine if you use that opposite philosophy with, with weight training someone's like seeing you do a tricep push down with 100 pounds and they're like can't you lift more well like yes i can put 600 pounds on the rack deadlift and pick that up for 10 but like that's just me using my whole body like an idiot. I'm not targeting what I want. Technique in jiu-jitsu is the same thing. Can mm. you pick someone up and smash them in jiu-jitsu? Sure, totally. Unless they're really big and strong. And then if they know more technique than you, you have zero weapons. You don't actually know anything. Mm. Um, but if you focus on your technique, it doesn't look as impressive. But once your technique gets really groovy, if you're strong and you have good technique, dude, it's lights out. You roll. You ever roll against people who are strong, big, and had good technique? Mm. Like... It's not a fun time for anyone because no. you truly feel trapped. Like yeah. you're like, oh my god, I have nothing. I have nothing to go to. I can turn up my strength. They're nullifying that, and their technique makes it seem like they're just not even fucking trying. So mm. that's where you want to be. And as big and strong as you are, give it another seven or eight years, you're going to have a black belt, and you're going to be that big and strong, if not bigger and stronger. Mm. And then you'll be a real pain in the ass if mm. you learn the techniques from now until then. But if you just get promoted by beating people up and having just a couple of good moves and you just smash people through, you're never really going to be that good. Other black belts will beat you up and you'll be confused as to why. Mm, yeah. Uh, you mentioned the stimulus to fatigue ratio. I've never thought of it in terms of jujitsu. Um, but you were the first person that I heard that from around hypertrophy. Um, I think I made it up. <laughs> yeah, 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 yeah. Yeah. Yeah, I wasn't sure. Like when I first said it, I was like, oh, well, you know, this is an idea that I've thought about but not you know ever put a name to not trying to say that i could have you know thought of it but no you you sure did i think it's really obvious yeah it makes sense (laughs) you're like oh the exercise that you know gives you the most for the least pretty much yes we do that in the rest of life stimulus to fatigue ratio isn't some kind of big discovery invention of mine uh because it's just a modification of the cost benefit formula from like economics or just home economics Mm. you know just like being a human being you're like like if some if some this is a terrible analogy is it okay if i say something not that's a kind of something a little racy yeah yeah, yeah. about later yeah i'm like in agreement with the comments on youtube i think it's the the best parts of your of your videos jeez all right (laughs) if you're uh let's say you want to like you know you're let's say you're single and you're chatting with a girl or a guy or whatever it's 2023 right (laughs) and you're chatting with them in the dms and they're like why don't you come through and we'll hang out you know, like, the benefit there, the stimulus is like, are you going to get happy, happy, touchy, touchy fun times? The cost is like, well, so how far do they live? Because, you know, if, if you're in uh, in Melbourne and someone, you know, on the other side of Melbourne is like, hey, you want to come through and do shit? You're like, yeah, 
fatigue is going to be low. But if someone, if you're in Melbourne and someone's like, hey, come to Perth, it'll I'll make it worth your while. Like, Perth, what is the stimulus? What exactly are we going to do? And if they like have a list of like fun activities for like three days straight and they're a professional sex haver, you're like, all right, fine, I'll buy that plane ticket. You know what I mean? But like, you got to consider both because that's how you do it, 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 The easier analogy, of course, is like food. If someone's like, hey, like, come get a burger at this burger bar. You're not just like, yes. Sometimes you're like, well, how much is it? How good is the burger? Because if they say, like, the burgers aren't that great, but it's like $50, you're mm-hmm. going to be like, dude, what? Why the fuck would I go? Poor stimulus, a lot of fatigue. In other words, poor benefit um, and not great cost, very high cost. But if someone's like, dude, it's $10 burgers and they're amazing, you're like, well, I'm going to have to try one. So same idea in training. And I think it's just simple. Maybe my talent in the industry hasn't been being exceptionally exotic in my um, suggestions for how we approach training theory, but maybe my uh, contribution is in part be to be kind of simplify training theory back to basics of like, what are we really here for? Mm. Like when you're at the gym, if I'm like, hey, like you'll be able to lift a lot of weight with this exercise, because that really a benefit? It seems like one, right? But then you're like, what are your outcome measures? Do you care about how strong you are? A lot of people are like, mm, definitely. And then great for them. It's like awesome strength training. Mm. But for a lot of people, Brock, let's be honest, man, they just want to look a certain way. I just want to look like Hugh Jackman from Wolverine, man. That's the only reason I've ever wanted to train. Not me personally. Just a lot of people say that. You know what I mean? And it's like... Well, like, so we don't even know how strong he is because it fucking doesn't matter. Mm. What matters is how stimulated do his muscles get in training? How little fatigue does he accumulate so that he can come back and do the same thing and get the body that he wants and that you want? So if you have some decent proxies for what a stimulus is, you have some decent proxies for what fatigue is, you might as well do the stuff that makes the most sense. Well, that's it. Mm, yeah. Um, actually, I started training. Uh, one of my big inspirations was uh, I watched 300 when I was like 12. Or fourteen, it was just yeah. pretty much Great time to, to watch three hundred. Pretty much just to look like Leonidas. Oh yeah, oh yeah. You should have had CGI abs or whatever he had. <laughs> yeah, but it was funny. Me and my friend used to Google the Spartan workout because we were super oh, yeah. young, and we used to do it in the lounge, and it was like jump lunges, Hindu push-ups. So just, oh my god! Man, it was and the you worst. realize like four days of just like modified hypertrophy training would have been the best possible way because mm. remember like you're not trying to train to be a literal Spartan if that was the case most of it would be like training with a sword and a shield and shit like that and do that yeah. you just want to look a certain way and it's like what? why do the 300 guys look good because they look close to what men's physique competitors look like mm. well the, how do those guys train with just bodybuilders man like oh shit but, you know, when you realize that most of the way you train for looks is really just a certain way to go about it, it's great because it's uncomplicated. It's not great because a lot of people with these weird programs, I remember the 300 program was a huge thing. Everyone Googled that, Yeah, was right? that like 300 reps of, of, of all Dude, this stuff? there was like probably 50 of them by different fitness influencers Yeah, because I was with. doing a really shitty one that was like, yeah, you know, like I said, like alternating squat jumps and me and my friend were oh, like man. timing out. You were the worst one. <laughs> Yeah, I, I did. No you stumbled way to the wrong one. I hate it. Oh, my God. Oh, man. But, yeah, you know, at the end of the day, it's like, oh, if I actually want this physical appearance, turns out, like, people really know how to get physical appearance in a way that's very straightforward. And it's almost more boring than you would think. It's like, do you want bigger biceps? Like, yeah, like, train the biceps through a full range of motion with the eccentric control. You're like, shit. There's not any, like, shortcut. You're like, oh, yeah. this is the shortcut. You're like, that ah, fuck. But this isn't that fun. You're like, do you want big biceps or not? It's like, yes, okay, I'm going to mm. do this thing. Which is another way of, like, kind of criticizing my own earlier point about celebrities. It would be great to get celebrities, like, to hear this or hear some version of this 
to be like, look, like, what really matters to you as a celebrity when you're 12 weeks away from filming your next big movie where you have to look sexy? And they're going to be like, how I look. And right, right. Do you want to get hurt? Do you want to spend any more time doing it? Do you want to have fun in the gym? And they're like, this is my job, man. My fun is like actually acting and then chilling out with my family and friends. Like, right. Mm. So why don't we get you a good coach? Um, we did the, the guy who was coaching, um, what's his name? The guy that played um, Chris Pratt, the guy that uh, yeah. was in all the movies recently. I saw the, that. That's Marvel a new YouTube movies. video. I haven't watched it yet. Yes, but like his coach is great. He's just like does the fucking compound basics and with <laughs> good technique. And that's it's like, dude, get a guy like that. Chris Pratt got so fucking lucky. Yeah, but like, everyone in Hollywood should have a guy like that because that guy is going to be like, this is what you want, right? Mm. Right. Well, just do it. Let's set it up, and that's it. Like if you have want like a wireless internet installed in your house, and some no nonsense company comes in and it's like we're gonna put a fucking port here here and here it's gonna cost you twenty dollars a month here you go we turned it on you're like amazing hmm. that's what training is like we know how to train people really well but not everyone shopping for training knows what they're looking for unfortunately mm. um uh quickly because i know you have to have to bounce pretty soon um i know you kind of talked about the the simple the simple way that you kind of encourage training and that's probably your biggest contribution i agree like i see some of your workouts that you do and you're doing like four exercises you know sometimes even three and i'm like man to to someone else coming from doing all this random f45e type of training that looks extremely boring yeah like what's your advice to them because i'm i'm similar you know i might program five exercises you know three sets of of this yeah. and that to people and they're like hey Brock like is this it and then they're like oh and I have to repeat this for four weeks like I'm usually doing something different every day Yeah. what advice would you give to people for that yes that's a great question Brock my, my, my first piece of advice would be you want to try to think about how much fun you want to have in the gym versus how much you want to optimize for results now for me I'm a competitive bodybuilder if I take fifth place at a show and if I had less fun in prep, I could have taken third. What the hell was I doing? On the, on the bodybuilding stage, they're not like, all right, your physique looks good, but how much fun were you having? It's nonsense. So I don't care about how much fun I have. To me, it's the most fun to optimize, right? So my fun assessment comes after I, I uh, say, okay, this is optimal. This is what's fun to me. Mm. But for other people, it doesn't work that way. There's a very fine way to answer honestly. Say, look, it absolutely results are important to me, but like, Results are 90% of what I'm after, but like 10%, if I lose 10% of results, opportunity cost-wise, but I can do something 100% more fun, I'm there. Great. Then it's like, okay, dope. Um, then you have a second thing to do, is to learn what the fundamental elements are of proper training, arrangement, proper programming, so that you know how to include the most fun without costing yourself the most effect. So for example, doing a different exercise every week costs you a little bit of an upside, not a huge one. As long as that exercise is a stable exercise with a full range of motion or deep stretch and eccentric control and it's done properly. So that's okay, that's a fine variation. You don't really cost yourself a ton. You cost yourself a little bit of optimality, but it's way fun because you get to do a different exercise every week. On the other hand, it's like if you do a different exercise every week, but also you're doing like BOSU balls and one-legged <laughs> unstable squats, it's like, well, actually that choice reduces your results significantly and it, and it increases how much time you have to spend at the gym and mm. also the bad stuff and then it's like okay well that is a trade-off that just doesn't make a whole lot of sense so 
if it's going to make something, you know, way more fun for you, uh, then do it as long as you're comfortable with the optimality trade-off. And a lot of times the optimality trade-off is very small. But if it's like you're doing something way ineffective just so it's fun, like people who like to do like planks and holds and shit like that, and they're like 35% body fat, you're wasting your time almost completely. Like you're 30% fat. If you cut down to 25% fat, however many plank holds you did with your abs, it's not going to make any difference in your appearance. I mean, zero because there's 18 layers of fat. You know what I mean? So it's like you shouldn't do that at all. And they're like, okay, but like it's fun. Like, sweet. Is there any way we can get you to have fun doing shit that's effective, like lateral raises with different technique than last week? They're like, okay, great. So that navigating that. So you as a coach and the people who who have you as a coach. If you if they say hey like you know this is really boring for me you can give them some options make we can make it more fun in three different ways and I'll tell you one of them is going to cost you five percent of your potential results the other ten the other fifteen mm. which ones do you want to choose because if it really fun is super important to you fifteen percent but then again Brock if you tell your clients that after eight or sixteen weeks they tell you, they they come back and they're like dude my body's changed I love it and they may be like kind of want I want more results though you go okay. Do you still want to do that 15% efficient method or 85% efficient rather? Or do you want to bump it up to 90 or 95 or 100? And then they might have a different answer because they might, once people know how much work it takes to get the body that they want or close to it, once they taste what their visual appearance and, and health and feeling can be like when they're closer to their achievement potential, they might be like, dude, you know, this is the shit I really like. Mm. You know, it's kind of like, I don't know, it's a weird analogy, but like... um, if you're like just doing things for fun and passion, you're not really into making money. It's totally dope. But then if you discover you're pretty good at something and it pays you a lot, like if you discover you're really great at singing and now you have a record deal and they're like, you just keep putting out more songs, you get $250,000 a song. You're like, all of a sudden I'm really interested in writing songs. And they're like, I thought you didn't like to make money. You're like, yeah, when I wasn't making that shit much, I doesn't care. But this much money, your boy's in the studio 24 <laughs> seven laying down bars. I'm doing nothing else. And it's like, it's genuine. You really want to be there. Cause mm. like I'm in now. So sometimes when people don't have abs or crisp, you know, midsection, they work for 16 weeks with you. They get your diet coaching, they get your training coaching. They start to see their abs and they're like, is there a way I can speed this up? And you're like, huh, I'm glad you asked. We actually had that talk a, uh, 16 weeks ago. Remember you chose the slower method. They're like, I did. You're right. Fuck that. Science only. I want the shit that makes my abs pop the most. I want the biggest biceps. I've, I've had a taste. I want more. And they're like, sweet. Welcome to modern periodization. And then they train like a machine. And when people tell them, like, in the gym, they're like, I, f I saw your workout. It's like, it looks really boring. They go, oh, hold on a sec. Boom. Pull up their abs. Middle finger. Fuck off. Because then that person's like, oh, yeah, you're right. Why the hell would I? You know, like, if you see someone really jacked and lean training, you could say it's boring, but you never tell them that. Because what are they going to tell you? They're going to be like, do you like what you see? And you're like, yeah. Next, you're going to tell me I have to do boring shit to look like that. Yeah. They're like, yep. And you're like, ah, shit. So everyone kind of knows. Now, some people, they might still be like, look, I still want that 85% method. I still want more fun. I love my results. I'm okay to get them a little slower, though. I like where this is going. Then that's great. It just has to be a known choice. Mm. What you don't want is people who are like, I want the fun things, but they just don't know what comes at a trade-off. Mm. Or the people that are like, I have to do the boring things or I'll see zero results. That's bullshit. Mm. You can do a lot of really fun stuff and get great results. It just won't be your best. But that brings us back to the celebrity thing again. It's kind of like, you're going to be in a movie and the whole world is going to see you half naked. <laughs> don't you want to do your best? I mean, God damn. Sometimes those people just don't know. Mm. So if they know, all is well. If they don't know the trade-offs, not great. 
Yeah, I recently um actually I had a celebrity that I trained um and she was actually getting ready for a movie. That's why I'm like, you know, pretty interested in in, in it as well. But you know, there's a lot Attica. of obstacles. There's a lot of, you know, things that people will say, say famous friends or, you know, people that recommend this best personal trainer or best physio and, you know, she, she was gobsmacked that she she could put her knees over her toes when I told her and I was like, yeah, of course, mate. Most I don't people know will what's be. happening here. Yeah, she's probably like, you know, ontological shock from realizing <laughs> the matrix is real. Like, God, everything's been a lie. But if you can't depend on knees over toes being a bad thing, what can you depend on? You know, is Australia really on the south side of the world? Who knows? Maybe we've had the map upside down the whole time. Yeah. All right, Mike. I, it's time for you to to go. You've uh, you've given me a lot of time, mate. I appreciate it. Um, uh, where can people find you? Do you want to, um, you know, leave them with anything? Um, you know, what are you up to next, or or what are you building? I know that you're always working on the hypertrophy app. It's available for purchase. You just go to my Instagram links or go to our YouTube, and every video has a link to the app. And where they can find us is really on YouTube, um, just YouTube Renaissance Periodization or Mike Isretel or just to have a take a picture of this podcast on your phone and have it image search my gigantic, ugly face, and you'll see where I'm located on YouTube. And, and then uh, you will have lots of fun, but uh, don't let your kids listen to the channel because it's for adults. Yeah, I second that. <laughs> Brock, thank you so much for having me on. It's been a huge pleasure. Thanks, man. Thank you very much. Cheers, mate. Of course.